And welcome to the Honduras Now podcast. This podcast shares human rights stories from Honduras and connects them with global issues and North American policy. I am your host, Karen Spring, a longtime researcher and human rights activist that has lived in Honduras for over a decade. Welcome and thanks so much for listening. Today, I've invited freelance journalist Jeff Abbott to the show. Jeff recently published a really important article with the online publication Toward Freedom, and his article was called America Crece, Washington's New Investment Push in Latin America. So Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't you start by sharing where you are in the world and a little bit about what you do? I am reporting here from uh, Guatemala City in the Central Plaza, basically. I've been reporting from Central America, specifically Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, since 2014. And my work has appeared in publications like The Guardian, Al Jazeera, the Progressive Magazine out of Wisconsin, where I have a, a monthly column, and a number of other publications like Toward Freedom. Yeah, and the article that you just published was so incredibly timely because of how much the plan that you outline in your article gives us such a good framework to understand U.S. investments in Central America. So before I ask you to describe your article and just sort of talk a little bit about it, I want you to tell me a little bit about your experiences doing audio recording in Central America and like what, what you had to build to help me do this interview today. Well... Recording audio in Central America is a pain. I mean, there's you can hardly ever find any quiet spaces. Years ago, I was working with a friend of mine who's a poet in San Juan Comalapa in Chimaltenango, and she was having me record her poetry uh, for little videos that we were doing. And I started building these uh, forts of mattresses, blankets, and stuff like that. So right now I'm reporting from my closet. Uh, where I'm surrounded by a bunch of shirts and uh, in front of me is my mattress, which is propped <laughs> up by my door, the door to my closet and the door to my bedroom. And overhead is draped my, uh, my blanket. So uh, I've found a way to create little quiet spaces. Yeah, well, I, saludos from my little audio fort that I have. I have something similar going here to like try and block out some of the noise. So I'm glad I'm like in the presence of somebody that understands that there's no such thing as silence in Latin America and just how hard it is to be able to record. And in many ways, in other interviews I've done uh, for other uh, podcasts, I've kind of given up with trying to be quiet. I mean, I've done an interview with one podcast from a coffee shop. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was just kind of like, it was kind of like, eh, it's the only place where I can do it right now. I'm sorry. There's a lot of noise, but did it from my phone pacing around. So uh, this time around, I'm seated in my little bunker. Yeah, well, I like your attitude. Just sort of embrace the noise around you and like forget about trying to be silent. I like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we're missing here is the sound of chickens. Um, when I lived in Comalapa, there was chickens on both sides of my, my house. So, and behind my house. So every interview I ever did always had the sound of chickens and roosters in it. And I really miss that. Yeah, it definitely gives you that rural Latin America feel. That's for sure. 
Exactly. It's beautiful. So like, let's get to your piece on, that you published in Towards Freedom in early, earlier this month. You outlined this America Crece program. It's an investment plan that Washington recently announced. So what is America Crece? Uh, for those that have never heard about it or know anything about the institutions involved, can you just like outline in general what it is? Yeah, so America Crece is the latest United States investment program in Latin America. In the past, we've seen smaller projects, specifically in Central America, we've seen Plan Mesoamerica, which is, you know, what came out of uh, Plan Puerto Panama. There's also, most recently, the Plan for the Alliance of Prosperity, which wasn't directly an investment program, but it had elements of investment in the the, the project. So uh, Medica Crece is the Trump administration's program alongside the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, which is seeking to promote investment in infrastructure projects across the hemisphere. So from Mexico all the way down to Argentina. Only three countries are left out, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. And the, the program actually began 2018, I believe, and wasn't announced until 2019. Uh, in December 2019, in a grand ceremony in D.C. where the U.S. Chamber of Commerce presented the, the initiative. And the, the initiative is really tied to, you know, U.S. interests in energy production, integration of the region, which, you know, we've seen since really the 1970s. And in, the, in this current era, it's really, you know, viewed as being, well, not even viewed, it's, it's, a, it's a explicit that it's a response to Chinese investment in the hemisphere. In 2018, the U.S. Senate uh, and Congress passed a bipartisan bill called the Better Utilization and Investment Leading to Development Act, uh, or the BUILD Act, which consolidated uh, OPIC, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, and a number of other agencies to form a new uh, investment corporation called uh, the Development Finance Corporation, DFC. And it increased the budget from $29 billion to $60 billion. And with this, they're you know, signing a number of agreements, uh, memorandums of understanding between governments of Latin America uh, about this money. Uh, Honduras signed a $1 billion agreement. The United States, uh, El Salvador has, Guatemala has, and most of the other countries have as well, as far as I know. One of the things that I noticed about, you know, it, just in your summary now, and then also in your article, is, is that you say that it makes, the plan makes it very clear that it's about countering Chinese investment in Latin America. I mean, they've had, as you mentioned, other projects before, like Plan Mesoamericana. Um, they also had the Alliance for Prosperity in 2014, which was an Obama-Biden uh, initiative. But they never really made it explicit about it countering Chinese investment. So why would you say this one is similar or different in that sense? The Alliance for Prosperity oh, oh, like, always had an element of anti-Chinese investment within it. Um, in 2018, El Salvador signed an agreement with China to recognize one China, not recognizing diplomatic relations with Taiwan anymore in order to gain uh, millions of dollars in investment. Um, the United States responded, uh, specifically Republicans responded by threatening to remove El Salvador out of the Alliance for Prosperity. But with this, with America Crece, there is a specific acknowledgement of the quote-unquote threat to China. Um, I mean, early on, like when, when they first announced it, that was my first gut instinct. Uh, confirmed it with other uh, analysts uh, um, and didn't really say anything about it. But I've gone back and looked and it's been the, the you know, the, the analysis of so many other people. This is a direct response to China. 
in the last 10 years, Chinese investment in the region has increased billions of dollars. Um, and they, you know, they're involved in most Latin American countries. There's only a handful that are not, you know, working with China. Guatemala is one, Honduras is another. Nicaragua, surprisingly, is another. But most other countries have recognized one China. And it's the timing and just the language around it. And then also the language from the embassies. Um, there was a document that was published by the U.S. Embassy in Guatemala talking about the threat that China represents. And I've also spoken with Guatemalan business leaders here who have mentioned that they were explicitly told by the United States not to do business with China. Which is, you know, this and this is happening in Honduras, too. And I'm just going to read you a tweet, you know, as I think all the embassies are sort of given this order to discuss this issue and to discuss it with key their key allies in these countries. And the U.S. Embassy in Tegucigalpa in Honduras tweeted on September 21st, quote, the construction companies of the People's Republic of China are damaging the environment and threatening economies and the sovereignty of countries in the world, unquote. And when I saw that quote, I was just like, I don't understand how that's any different than what the what American companies do. But it's very clearly very in line with what the United States is trying to do through this America Crece um, investment push. Exactly. And also, like, you know, um, I've, for years I've had my question about why the United States has been so involved with the Berta Cáceres case. And, you know, in that light, it makes me wonder, you know, are they really trying to back Copin and like trying to get quote unquote justice for Berta because it's a Chinese company? Well, actually, the, the Chinese company was it, it started with a Chinese company, company, Sino Hydro, and then Berta Cáceres, along with Rio Blanco and the communities and the resistance, pushed that company out. But Sino Hydro was a big partner of DESA, which was the company building on the Aguasarca Dam. But Sino Hydro is building in um, in a huge three-part or three-phase dam in eastern Honduras in the department of Olancho and close to the La Mosquitia, which is this area, really isolated area of Honduras. And it's a huge, huge dam. I think it will be the biggest. If they put in all three phases of the dam, it'll be the biggest dam in Honduras. And it's interesting that you, you know, talking about it in relation to Rio Blanco and the embassy's support for, quote-unquote, support um, there in Rio Blanco. But if you look at what they're, what's going on with the Patuca Dam, which is what it's called, the Sino Hydro Dam in construction in eastern Honduras, that dam construction project has been linked to so many corruption cases and money laundering schemes, like drug money laundering schemes. And so, you know, you have these very wealthy, politically powerful people in Honduras teaming up and like, you know, helping build that Patuca Dam through these contracts and, you know, a whole bunch of different uh, mechanisms. But it's interesting because, you know, initiatives that the United States supports, like the MASI, the anti-corruption body, and, um, and other NGOs that sort of denounce corruption in Honduras, and talk about, you know, the involvement of these projects in corruption have really mentioned the Patuca, the Patuca project as being this source of major corruption. And for me, it's, it's interesting because I think that, that a lot of the United States' corruption efforts in Honduras is linked to making sure that American companies are given equal, if not favorable, consideration when they're bidding for contracts for some of these large infrastructure and energy projects, which the America Crece, Pro Crece program promotes. You talked a little bit about corruption in your article, so I don't know if there's anything that you want to comment about 
how you sort of see the relationship between this discourse of combating corruption that the United States really promotes and an investment plan like America Crece and then everything that's come before it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a little bit hard to talk about because like it's not clear because like the DFC has put in quote unquote mechanics, like mechanics to, you know, to root out corruption. But with infrastructure, that's, you know, the number one source of corruption. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, the companies are involved in corruption as well. But showing that's a whole other thing, right? In Guatemala, you know, corruption is the name of the game, just like in Honduras. And it's just endemic. <laughs> yeah. And it's and for me, if you get involved in any sort of infrastructure projects in Honduras and energy projects in particular, you're basically guaranteeing to be involved in some shape, way, shape or form with corruption and officials that are acting in a corrupt manner. There's no like neoliberal development in Honduras through these investments has always been like corruption is necessary to be able to promote them. Exactly. And like, you know, you go back to Guatemala, like um, back in the 1980s, 1970s, 1980s, there was the the push for the expansion of energy production in the region. Um, there were five major hydro projects that were meant to be built. Only three of them got built, one in Chiapas, one in Guatemala, and one in Honduras. The two others, which were in Guatemala, one of them, uh, was declared unconstitutional, I think, 2016, uh, the Shalala Dam. And then the other one was abandoned in the 1990s. And there's an article by, or there's a report from a German energy company, which stated that the Chulak project was, you know, a form, the Chulak, Chulak was the, the largest project in the entire region. It was 430 megawatts. And it was on the Cajabon River, uh, just a little bit north west of Pansos um, in, in, uh, in Alta Vera Paz near uh, Isabel. And that project, you know, they, they, they claimed the project was just a money laundering operation. And the project was abandoned in 93. And the World Bank uh, report on it was because of, uh, you know, uh, geological issues. The rock in the region couldn't support the project. But then there's, you know, this report says like, oh, no, it was money laundering. So it's, it's I mean... <laughs> I say it jokingly, but, you know, you want to get rich, you do it, you do an infrastructure project, a hydro or a highway. Yeah, it's the same here in Honduras. And just like on the on the flip side of all this investment and on and these large investment plans that for me, whenever I'm trying to figure out something on the ground here in Honduras and I'm working alongside communities that are fighting hydroelectric dams or mining projects or tourism projects, I always look to these investment frameworks like America Crece. I look to the Alliance for Prosperity to understand how these all fit into this broader U.S. plan for neoliberal development in Honduras. And so you mentioned like two specific projects that you investigated and you report them in your article that you were able to understand or that you know um, that the America Crece program will invest in. And there are tons more. And so what in Guatemala, and it's similar to Honduras, but I'm going to ask you this question is, you know, what do these projects mean for communities? What do they mean for communities that don't, aren't properly consulted or that don't see, don't share this vision of development? It means dispossession. It means being evicted from lands. It means social conflict, losing, you know, the, the ability to produce for your family. I think probably 99% of all hydro projects are highly contested in Guatemala. And to the point where 
we, uh, through all this, we have to you know recognize that the United States sees uh, energy as a geostrategic question. Uh, in 2016, there was an investigation done by the Army Corps of Engineers, which sought to see the possibility of utilizing the Guatemalan military to protect, to protect the production and distribution of energy in the country. I don't know the results of that investigation because Southern Command never confirmed that they did the investigation. Um, I only know about it because the soldier who did the investigation contacted me and I met with him and talked with him. Um, and he gave me the proposal and all that. Jeff, is that is that Southern Command was supposed to secure and protect energy projects in the United States? Or are you talking the entire uh, region, entire Western Hemisphere? In Guatemala, in Guatemala specifically, um, I've asked other U.S. officials about other countries, and they deny that it even occurred. It's interesting that you mentioned that because um, when Berta Cáceres and Copín and Rio Blanco were fighting the Aguasarca Dam, the U.S. Embassy is sort of known to be one of the main commanders of the Tigre, the special police force that is a Honduran police force, the Tigres. And the Tigres were sent in to protect DESA's infrastructures and the construction of the Aguasarca Dam. And so that's very similar to what you're saying if the Southern Command had that intention in Guatemala. Yeah, I actually asked an official who was serving in the U.S. Embassy uh, in 2018 uh, when I was there at the memorial for Puerto Castellas, and he would not confirm that it, it is occurring. Interesting. Okay, so you mentioned in the beginning of your, when you're talking about and outlining your article, you said that America Crece is similar to Plan Pueblo Panama. It's similar to the 2014 Alliance for Prosperity. And I mean, this, the Alliance for Prosperity, what we already talked about, was an Obama-Biden administration initiative to, quote-unquote, like in response to the unaccompanied minors that were flocking to the U.S.-Mexico border um, from the Northern Triangle. And so it's so for me, it's really concerning that, like, for me, there's really no difference between the Alliance for Prosperity, which, again, focused so much on, quote unquote, citizen security, economic opportunities, increased investment in the private uh, in the private sector with the intention of, you know, reducing migration. So, I mean, we're at the U.S. elections are days away. And this is an initiative, the America Crece is an initiative under the Trump administration. Do you see there being any changes in foreign policy, U.S. foreign policy in Central America or Latin America more broadly from this election? Well, first off, I, I want to add one thing to the, the Alliance for Prosperity thing, which is often overlooked. There was an energy element to the, the Alliance for Prosperity. It's interesting because the Alliance for Prosperity, when they implemented it in Honduras, it was right when the Honduran Congress privatized the National Electrical Energy Company, which was held held by the state, busted the union that gave tons of jobs, and then privatized energy, and then started handing out all of these energy generation contracts to private companies that started building them all around the country. And, that, and that's how the conflict in Rio Blanco started, with Copin that led to the murder of Berta Cáceres and several others, and a whole bunch of resistance to dams, including the Gilamito Dam, which you mentioned in your article that this America Crece program is going to finance. So you're right. It's totally, it's not, it's not investigated enough at all, but it's definitely in there. But energy is always a huge focus of these programs. And energy transfers, energy moves. Energy isn't, you know, you know, with a stir station, you can, you know, re-energize it and keep it going and keep it moving. 
So do you think that it's the way that the United States is trying to get basically um, as much access as possible to energy markets all across the Western Hemisphere because they're concerned about their own energy production? That's one thing I've played with for a while. I can't find a connection specifically to that. In Guatemala, what's really interesting is up until the 1960s, 1970s, energy like energy nationalization in Guatemala really began in the 1950s under the the, the revolutionary government, uh, specifically during uh, the times of uh, Jacoba Arbenz. Energy wasn't nationalized for a while after, but it was still nationalized. But prior to that, the company that owned all the energy production and distribution in Guatemala was a U.S. company. And I think, in my opinion, this is entirely my opinion, I think that the United States is concerned about their own energy generation. Given the movement that's occurring, especially on the West Coast right now, to removing dams due to the environmental impacts, I think there is a concern. And it's just, you know, exporting the externalities. Yeah, and I, I think it, I think you're right noting that a U.S. company held, basically owned the energy production before it was nationalized in Guatemala because for sure the United States is looking to open up markets for its own companies, um, and it's very profitable. And here in Guatemala, uh, Honduras, I'm not sure about. El Salvador, yes. You know, there's U.S. companies that have come in. Uh, Duke Energy is here in Guatemala on the, on the Pacific Coast. They have a plant in Esquintla, I think it is. And so who, who is Duke Energy for, for us Canadians that don't know that much about the U.S. energy oh, players? Hang on. Let me pull it up because uh, I don't know all the, I don't remember all the details off my off the top of my head. OK, well, while you're looking that up, um, I want to go back to the fact that the U.S. elections are a couple days away. So you see the Trump administration, what they did by creating the DFC, which um, is called the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation. It's a new a new initiative, like you mentioned. And then you have you're looking at this Biden plan, the Obama Biden administration Alliance for Prosperity. So do you have any hope? Do you think at all that like there's any difference between Trump and Biden's foreign policy for Latin America? No, <laughs> simply put, no. Honestly, I think that that if Biden wins, it's going to be more of the same. We're going to, you know, they're going to, the Trump administration, you know, they, they didn't reverse, but they rebranded uh, the Alliance for Prosperity um, and then launched the America Crece program. Um, we have to remember that the America Crece program or the American Crece Initiative um, has bipartisan support in the United States. And Biden on his website in his plan for Central America talks about increasing investment in Central America, which, you know, to my eyes looks exactly like America Crece. So I, I think, you know, if there's a change of administration, let's hope there is a change of administration, it'll still be more of the same. And honestly, like, Democrats in general keep going back to the same narrative. Nancy Pelosi came to Guatemala last year in August, I think it was. And in her speech when she was leaving, she just stated again basically what the tenets of America Crest or what uh, the Alliance of Prosperity were. And so I think that, you know, the problem with you, like with U.S. officials, is that they don't understand the reason why people are migrating. It's, you know, in these countries, we're living in a neo-feudal, you know, neo-feudal countries that, you know, have an economic elite that's so disattached and is trying to protect their little, their little kingdoms. And the talk about investment doesn't mean that, you know, it will actually lead to quote unquote development for the communities because the development is completely different than what the communities want. But even, you know, what development there is is still going to be tied to the national elite. 
and it's still going to have this, you know, really regressive model, which, you know, resists unions or which looks to actively destroy unions, you know, keeping wages low and meaning that people live for, you know, and work for nothing. It's, you know, going back to, you know, how things were hundred years ago, you know, in the times of like United Fruit Company. Yeah, I think you're you're drawing the connections between what the United States considers development and what the communities or people in these Central American countries that are not part of the wealthy and economic elite is really important. And when I was reading your article, I was like, okay, so he mentions Biden, the Alliance for Prosperity. And so I wanted to see, because the Alliance for Prosperity was justified, or sorry, Biden's plan on his website for if he wins the presidency talks about reducing migration and getting to the root causes of migration. So, but that's what he wanted to do with the Alliance for Prosperity in 2014. So I looked it up. Did migration actually go down? And nope, not at all. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I looked it up. So the National Immigration Forum says, quote, between fiscal years 2015 to 2018, the proportion of family units and unaccompanied children apprehended at the southern border increased substantially, accounting for 63 percent of all apprehensions of the Northern Triangle migrants in the fiscal year of 2018. So basically, that means that so the, the Alliance for Prosperity was supposed to reduce unaccompanied children and families from going north, but they increased from 47% of all apprehensions at the U.S. border in 2015, and they went up to 63%. And I mean, you know, these are statistics, but we know that the, they're now migrant caravans, and we know that there's mass amounts of uh, people um, fleeing Honduras, and then obviously Guatemalans and, and people from El Salvador are joining them. And you've done a lot of coverage on these migrant caravans. And I think it's interesting to draw this connection too while we're talking about migration is that there was a recent article that went out that talked about how customs and border protection were actually in Guatemala. The Senate report said that they were in Guatemala apprehending migrants and sending them back to Honduras. So you have tons of experience covering migration and the caravans. I don't know if you want to comment a little bit about what you've heard when you're interviewing migrants and why people are fleeing. Oh, of course. Um, the one thing I want to say is like with the Alliance for Prosperity, there is no way of seeing what the impacts were. It's not transparent whatsoever. While it was you know, activated, I talked to representatives from the municipality of Nebach, which was one of the, the pilot projects for the program. And they had no idea what was happening with the, the money being sent here for that program. Neither did, you know, local organizations that, you know, work with communities. So, you know, there was a ton of money coming down here, but there's nothing to show for it. And, and in terms of migration, I mean, the causes of migration are so numerous. You know, there's people who've suffered from violence and there's people who've suffered from, you know, lack of opportunity. Uh, the, this most recent caravan uh, at the beginning of October, you know, I talked to people that lost their jobs due to the pandemic and had no means of survival. And there was, you know, the aid never arrived. Here in Guatemala, like, migration initially fell a little bit, but, you know, the numbers have been going up ever since. And it's because, you know, these these countries haven't, responded in a way to support people to live. There is no buen vivir. There's no good life here. Uh, there's no well-being for communities. So, you know, the, these governments you know, implement the, the measures to stop the spread of the virus, but they don't take into account how people need to eat <laughs> or have access to, you know, other uh, means of survival. And one of the big things I found here during the pandemic was communities up along the border were separated from their lands. 
due to the pandemic, they, you know, there's communities, there's a large amount of communities across Guatemala that rent land in Mexico to, to sow their crops and they couldn't make it to their lands during the planting season. So, you know, in the future, what we're going to see is a massive crisis of hunger across the, the Western Highlands because people couldn't get to the, those lands. And there is a massive crisis in the countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, the quote-unquote Northern Triangle, which I, I try not to use that term. But the U.S. hasn't actually ever engaged with the reason why people migrate. They don't engage with, you know, the disenfranchisement that you find. They don't engage with, you know, massive land conflicts because, you know, people, if they have land and they can sustain their families, they're not going to migrate. Most people don't want to migrate, but it's a short-sighted neoliberal response. Yeah, I think I think that you really nailed that. Um, this problematic neoliberal development promoted by the United States. So for people, and this will probably be my final question for you, but for people that are in resistance, what do you think has to be done to stop the negative impacts of America Crece and any other proposals that promote neoliberal development in Central America? Mobilization. It has to be active purposeful mobilization. Sadly, in you know, this day and age, you have to inter- you know, interact with the apparatuses of the state, which you know, is a whole other problematic. But I think for communities and resistance, the idea is fight them on every level, push back against them. And then you know, for people who are outside of the region, it's you know, understanding what are the impacts? What does it mean if they build a hydro project in community? Like, what does it mean if a community, uh, what day was it? Uh, Thursday, uh, last week, I went to a community that is right above a hydroelectric project in uh, Tukuru, uh, Alta Verapaz. And the community is completely cut off from the water. And the water of the river Ch- uh, Chicxoy, which passes in front of them, isn't even running at or you know normal rate because there's a, there's a dam there. And so they've lost access to this resource that is that should be for the benefit of all and i think it's that on this end it's resistance protesting mobilizing utilizing the courts utilizing international conventions etc but then that's not going to be enough it has to be people in other countries you know the united states canada europe being like you know no like we're not going to accept these policies that displace people i think you know in many regards these these policies are ones that are of dispossession of displacement of theft and it's theft of the means of survival the theft of the means of production because you know they're they're independent, they're autonomous. And when talking about migration, we have to also realize that it's also, you know, one of the forces of, of internal migration as well, you know, the urbanization of these countries. And urbanization means more poverty because, you know, they can't find stable livelihoods in these cities. So you have a lot of informal labor that emerges out of all of this. And with that, it's it's an ever-expanding crisis because, you know, migration isn't just, you know, oh, I have to provide for my family. All too often, people go to the cities, can't make a living, find way more crime in the cities in their commun- than in their communities, get more unstable, and then decide to go to the United States. I mean, that's not 100% the case, but that's often the case, right? So I think it's that. Yeah, I think I, I would echo kind of what you were saying, too, is just a call for joining forces in the quote-unquote global south and the quote-unquote global north and resisting and with Biden, if Biden wins the elections, um, it's definitely not over for 
all of us folks that are working, you know, been working for years to see the United States promoting more and more of the same and it getting more and more aggressive uh, potentially as well. So, Jeff, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. I know I have so much respect for freelance journalists because freelance journalism is is so difficult. So thank you so much for writing this amazing piece. I encourage people all to read it. It's called America Crece, Washington's New Investment Push in Latin America. America by freelance journalist Jeff Abbott, uh, published in the online newspaper Toward Freedom. So thanks so much, Jeff, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So that's the show for today, folks. U.S. elections are T-minus four days. I'm crossing my fingers here in Tegucigalpa. As always, check out our show notes at HondurasNow.org. Make a donation to the podcast or give me a sweet rating in Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm deeply appreciative of all that get in touch. Thank you for your support. You all keep me going and keep me inspired. Until the next episode, hasta pronto. Serán muchos Honduras tus muertos, pero todos caerán con honor. Tu bandera es un lampo de cielo.